Our reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. And you can find that on page 981 in the Church Bibles. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of the place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. It's a picture of Lake Galilee there. You can see the sun just coming up there. Think it's coming up or is it setting? Don't know. But either way round, what a fantastic verse. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. It's from Job. Well, in this series, we're looking at what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, a learner of Jesus. Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi who would gather apprentices, disciples to live alongside him and learn through practice and on the move. They would listen to him, observe him. It was said that their feet should get dusty in the dust kicked up by their rabbi's feet. Their desire to understand and to imitate his way of life. Today we're looking at this account of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. How do you walk on water? And when you start sinking, what do you do? We'll look at what it can tell us about how we can live our lives. Well, let's start with a view from the moon. Let's have a look. Let's have another go. But not googling down to the moon this time. When the astronauts set off onto the moon, they knew as they orbited it with their spacecraft on the other side of the moon the dark side, they would temporarily lose contact with mission control. They needed faith that as they reappeared, contact and communication would be restored. 
when the disciples set off across the lake to the other side in the dark, they had to spend time away from their leader and teacher. They needed faith that he would meet up with them again. Houston didn't leave the astronauts on their own, and so just over 40 years ago, Neil Armstrong stepped off the lunar landing craft and walked, briefly, on the moon at a place called the Sea of Tranquility. And Jesus didn't leave the disciples on their own, and nearly 2,000 years ago, Simon Peter stepped out of a boat and walked, briefly, on the water at a place called the Sea of Galilee, with a team of 400,000 people engaged in a project that lasted six years and cost billions and billions of dollars, Neil Armstrong made a small step for man and a giant leap for mankind. With a single teacher and trusting in his master's power, Peter made a small step for a man and a giant leap in his understanding and our understanding of just how much Jesus loves us, who he is, and how he wants us to live. The disciples acknowledged when Jesus and Peter climbed back in the boat that truly he was the Son of God. So let's fly down to Lake Galilee and dive into this passage. To give this passage some context, we need to just quickly rewind a little and look back a little earlier in in Matthew 14. Chapter 14 begins with an account of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, being beheaded. In verse 13, when Jesus finds out, he goes off alone, by boat, to a quiet spot. I don't know exactly where he went, and he didn't really want to tell anybody because he was going to a quiet spot. But imagine he might have been up here somewhere in Capernaum, and perhaps he took a boat over to the side over here. We don't know. The thing was, he was interrupted by a crowd who were seeking him because they knew that he was a healer. What does he do? He heals the sick, which is why they'd come to him. Then as it's getting late and they're fairly remote, he performs a miracle and feeds them. After that, he dismisses them and the disciples and goes off to pray, saying he'll meet them on the other side of the lake. So perhaps he said to his disciples, Sail off over here. I'm going off to the mountains to pray and I'll, I'll meet you over here. They landed later on at Gennesaret, which is somewhere over here, just a bit further around from Capernaum. The disciples, who had left everything to follow him, are now not with him. That's not what they had planned as apprentices, as disciples. How would they learn from his master if, if their master, if he wasn't there? And they find themselves in a storm. Again, this time without Jesus, buffeted around by a boisterous westerly wind. Just off the picture here, you've got the uh, coast, and maybe the winds were coming in from the coast, blowing this way. Here we go, thanks. You, you never know, do you? Perhaps just winds coming in this way would have been blowing them back across to the quiet side of the lake, preventing them from landing. They must have taken turns rowing until they were exhausted. By evening, which is about nine o'clock or so, they were a considerable distance, possibly somewhere in the middle by then. It's about eight or ten miles across at its widest point. 
if the day ends at 6 o'clock, evening is the end of the first watch, which is 9 o'clock. Midnight is the end of the second watch, 12 o'clock. The end of the third watch, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then the end of the fourth watch, 6 o'clock in the morning, is called dawn. So we're told that this happened sometime after 3 o'clock in the morning. What a time to be out in the middle of the lake and exhausted from rowing, is it? Now, do you know what the end of the third watch and the beginning of the fourth watch is called? We had evening at 9 o'clock, midnight 12 o'clock, dawn at 6 o'clock, that middle one, 3 o'clock in the morning. They used to call it the cock crow. It was when some roosters obviously got up quite early, just ahead of the dawn. I wonder if later on Peter thought... Why do things always go wrong for me shortly after the cock crows? But in the middle of their distress, when they felt all alone, Jesus goes out to them. He had been watching them from the mountains. He goes out to them walking on the water. And the disciples, clearly not expecting to see somebody walking on the water, just imagine it's an apparition. And they're terrified. So immediately, he reassures them, Take courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, as we've looked at before. The most common command in the Bible. And isn't Peter fantastic at this point? I love his extrovert nature. He's right in there. Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. But notice how Peter just wants to be with Jesus again. To be like Jesus. It's not, wow, show me how to walk on water. It's, how do I get to be with you again? How do I get to be like you? He's a disciple. He's a learner. He's longing to be like his teacher, his master. I see his drive and his passion and it challenges me. And Jesus says, come. Not, no, don't be silly. This walking on water is just for me. But come. So Peter does. Until he suddenly sees the wind and in his fear cries out for help. And Jesus is there, right away, immediately, supporting him. And they climb into the boat and reach the other side. Matthew, the writer of this gospel, would probably have been one of the others in the boat. He didn't get out, but he probably got quite wet when Peter climbed back in over him. And Jesus challenged Peter's lack of faith. But he didn't give up on him. Why would he? Peter is his apprentice, his disciple. He showed Peter and the disciples that he won't give up on them. That he is actually there for them all the time. And the disciples, not just Peter, knew they'd witnessed something special and that Jesus was unique. The Son of God. And they worshipped him. So what does that mean for us? Well, let's Google over away from Lake Galilee to where we are. This isn't live, by the way, don't worry. <laughs> but it does make you think, doesn't it? I wonder whose car that is down there. Just <laughs> What does it mean for us as a church? Well, it makes me think, when I look down from Google Earth, of our building project. Looking to be funded right in the middle of a financial storm. We could think, well, it can't be right, we can't do it then. 
forgetting sometimes that Jesus will sail us into a storm so that in the morning we can have a better idea of how to trust him. Let's pray as we continue with the project, we will come to rely less on ourselves and more on Jesus. Because the Christian life is not about plain sailing on calm waters and experiencing storms doesn't mean we've been disobedient at some point. The disciples were quite obedient here in the story. Storms are life's experiences which can be used to help us to trust God more. Some of us looking at the project may feel just like Peter, wanting to get out of the boat, keen to start walking, keen to get on with it. And that's great. That's great. Provided, as Jeff reminded us at the church meeting, we keep the main thing the main thing. How to make sure the building builds the church, Jesus' body, the people. Keeping the focus not on the bricks and mortar, but on Jesus and what he wants us to do with the bricks and the mortar. What can we apply from our home group studies into how our building can be a tool, a place from where we can dispense not just Tamiflu, but his mercy and his grace? Some might equally think that doing the project is like staying in the boat, because actually their idea of church is somewhere to feel safe and in their comfort zone. Building a larger comfort zone for ourselves is not what Jesus is looking for from us. Being obedient to his will is. And when we're doing that, we can feel safe. But what about individuals? What are our storms? Perhaps you felt all at sea for other reasons. Maybe a broken relationship. Perhaps the pain of losing a loved one. Perhaps deteriorating health. The daily struggle with living. Uncertainty. Not knowing what the future may hold. In all these things, we may feel helpless as we're thrown about by the wind and the waves. Or maybe we're even trying to walk on the water in our own strength. I wonder if Peter could swim. He's a fisherman, so you'd think that he probably could. But he actually still called out, Lord, save me, when he started sinking. And do we approach the idea of walking on water with the, well, if I can't walk on water, I could always swim, mentality? And is that really relying on God? Do we feel like the disciples that Jesus has left us when we need him most? Do we trust him enough to place our lives in front of him, to be ready to respond to his call? Who but Jesus can offer resolution to all of the issues in our lives? When we understand him as the author of creation as God and man together, when we see how he lived among us, then the apparition on the water that we might glimpse every now and then, or that we might avert our eyes from, or not believe, suddenly says to us, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I am watching over you, that my purposes may be fulfilled. Perhaps the storm you have is just trying to make sense of it all. How come this water walker from 2,000 years ago is still relevant today? How do I sift through all the different things I could believe in and choose to believe in him? Why should I? 
Perhaps you're wrestling with beliefs and doubts. Perhaps Jesus is like an apparition to you, walking on the water, unnerving you because of who he is and what he may make, in your, what changes he may make in your life. Changes you're not yet sure you want or need. Life is a storm. What shall I believe? In our scientific world, we like to believe science, don't we? Matthew isn't writing a science book here. And you may not believe Jesus walked on water. Well, some people still don't believe man walked on the moon. Do you? Just a bit of grainy footage and you put your trust in NASA. I heard someone say on the radio as recently as Monday that it was a rubbish idea, that it never happened because it would be impossible for cameras to work there. Some people choose not to believe. I'm going to sound like my mum here. Life is made up of choices. True science is a wonderful way in which man explores his environment and reaches out in a spirit of discovery. Science itself proves nothing. It offers ideas which can be tested and when tested becomes theories. The scientist, like the disciple, is seeking to understand. Do we understand everything yet? course not. And we choose what to believe and we live by those choices. There's a wonderful bit in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I don't know if you've read it or not, but it describes how to fly. It's actually very simple. All you have to do is throw yourself at the ground and miss. It's easy. If you want to fly, Throw yourself at the ground and miss. And the technique for missing is, as you're falling, you have to suddenly be distracted by something to help your brain get over the idea that you're about to hit the ground. In the book, I think as the hero tripped up and started falling, he suddenly looked across and saw a bag he'd lost in an airport about four years or so ago. That was enough to distract him and he started flying. It's a novel, by the way. It's not actually a <laughs> fiction book. But I wonder if walking on water is something like that. If you could be so distracted by your attention of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus that you can walk on water. And perhaps attracted to Jesus would be a better word. The only way in which we can live the Christian life is in his power, not our own. How can you walk on water by yourself? Even Usain Bolt couldn't. Well, at least without very large polystyrene running shoes. You can't live life in your own power. But imagine being so in tune with Jesus, so open to his power working in you, showing you how he wants you to live, that it feels like walking on water, being in step, with his spirit. Keep in step with the spirit, the Bible tells us. But we're human, and like Peter, this side of heaven, we will start sinking at some point. Peter is like us. Courage and cowardice, all in one package. He's a disciple who can be an example and an encouragement to us 
in how much we can see some of ourselves in him. So how do we not give up? How did the disciples? How did Peter? Well, if anyone is worth persevering to get to know till you trust them with your life, it's Jesus. Peter looked to Jesus, wanted more than anything to be with him. Peter walking on water was to Jesus. Not so much the means, but the purpose. That was what Peter wanted, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus. During times of struggle, when we may feel overwhelmed, we need that persistence, don't we? Persistence in prayer that a lot of Jesus' stories told us about. To keep struggling, to keep trusting, to keep seeking, to keep going, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Do you remember the Wimbledon final? I think it was something like 16 games to 14 or so in the last set, wasn't it? That was keeping going. And people marvel at Federer's incredible shots and his control. But he also demonstrates a real resilience and a persistence not to give up, but to hold on to the hope he had that he could make it title number 15. Tennis players are told, keep your eye on the ball. But what does keep your eye on the ball actually mean? Does it mean physically you keep your eye on the ball? Of course not. And besides such determination that Federer shows, he's probably better than most at keeping his eye on the ball. And what he does is he watches it very, very carefully. He studies it. He observes how it behaves when it's hit hard, when it's hit soft, when it spins backwards, when it spins forwards, when it hits the ground when it's a new ball, slightly a bouncier than an old ball. He learns about it in all the different circumstances of play. He learns how it behaves. Well, that's what we can do with Jesus. Let's read what Jesus does here in this passage. If you turn to your Bibles again, if you want to, in page uh, 981. But just looking back a little bit, again, to get the context of this passage... In verse 13 of chapter 14, Jesus must have been upset at the death of John. He wanted time by himself with God. But he didn't get that because people wanted to track him down and ask them to heal them and their friends. So in verse 14, he just had such compassion for them that he put aside his needs for others. The door to his comfort zone wasn't locked. He, wasn't, he didn't show frustration that his plans for the day were going to have to change. In verse 18, he had compassion on them to meet their physical needs. He fed them. Verse 22, as we started reading, immediately he sorts things out. Why does he do that? Well, in fact, in another passage on the... Uh, From John's Gospel, we hear a little bit more and we understand why. The people at that time wanted to take him by force and make him their king. That wasn't Jesus' mission. It wasn't for people to make Jesus king. Jesus was king because God makes him king. It wasn't what 
Jesus' plans were at that time. It was a potentially dangerous situation, managing a huge crowd like that. But he was aware of that situation, and he did that. He looked after his disciples. Verse 23, he went and spent time with God. He made time to be with God. Jesus, you would think, out of all people, surely, was just linked to God all the time. Yes, he was. But he prayed a lot of the time as well. And he showed us the importance of spending time with God. Verse 25, he was watching over his disciples. Verse 27, he came to them in their time of need. Immediately, we see this word immediately, 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 three times in this passage. He gets on with it. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. He called Peter to join him. He gave him the power to be able to. Verse 31. He challenged his lack of faith. Our faith matters to Jesus. But we matter to Jesus as well. And he wants to take us on that journey of deepening and strengthening our faith. Peter had to evaluate his at that point. Jesus isn't afraid to challenge us at those times. He doesn't miss the opportunity for feedback that we need there and then. Verse 32, he brought calm to the situation and to the disciples. Verse 36, he continued his ministry of healing people letting people just touch his cloak to receive healing. So in short, just by studying Jesus in this passage, we can see how he provides, how he protects, how he empowers us, how he continues his purpose to heal us physically, spiritually, to draw us back to God. I might watch Wimbledon and want to be like Federer. I have uh, the same height and the same weight. But there the similarity ends. But I'll tell you something. Reading the Bible, the more and more I read about Jesus, the more and more I want to be like him. Why would you not want to be with this man? Why would you not want to be part of what he's doing? Look at the awareness he displays to everything that's going on around him. This is the attractiveness of Jesus, fully man and fully God. Just trust him. Trust him and obey him, as the disciples did, as Peter did. Trust and obey. So when you start sinking, call out for Jesus. He will rescue you. You don't need to be surprised when he does. And in our lives, he teaches us to grow to be like him, to follow his example, to discern the distractions that matter, people needing food and healing, from the ones that don't, passing storms that make us afraid. Take courage, he says. It's I. Don't be afraid. Let's be like Peter in wanting to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to live life to the full. He didn't give up. He put his trust in Jesus. I'm going to play you another clip now, not of the moon landing, 
but it's probably from about the same sort of time. It must be about 40 or so years ago. And this just seems to say to me how Peter is. It's the Jungle Book clip. Let's just play this and listen to this last part of this song. Doesn't Baloo there just seem a little bit like, didn't quite get it right, Baloo, did it at the end? But what was the sentiment of that song? I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. It's true, can't you see? Someone like me can learn to be like someone like you. Peter is like us, a learner, a disciple. Jesus didn't give up on him. He sees our potential, not just our recent performance. Maybe then Peter didn't walk the walk and talk the talk. But because Jesus doesn't give up on him when he starts sinking, because Peter keeps trusting in Jesus, he's the one who later on can preach to the crowds. We read that in Acts chapter 2. Who can lead and encourage the early churches. Who can later talk the talk. I'm going to read a prayer now I found in uh, a book called Apprentice, Walking the Way of Christ. It's a prayer from a Trappist monk, a 20th century Trappist monk, Thomas Merton. Let me just read this to you now. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. We all live with doubts of ourselves, of others, of God. There are times for each one of us when it seems as if hope itself has been snuffed out. It's in these moments that we're called to persevere. And we persevere and we keep looking to Jesus in the certain hope that suffering will be overcome and that death will give way to life. After midnight in the storm, morning surely follows. We're going to sing a hymn now to, to close, just as uh, the group come up to sing it. You're the author 
You're the word of God the Father from before the world began. Every star and every planet, even the moon, has been fashioned by your hand.